Welcome, this is According to Callus. This will be episode 145, a Saturday special. I had to uh, miss out on Thursday due to some commitments, and Friday, well, <laughs> we'll just call this a makeup episode for Friday. I had some other commitments that I made on Friday as well. And, you know, that's one of the th- reasons why I was talking about in the near future, I'm going to probably have to look at restructuring what I'm putting out episodes and how often I can put out those episodes. I believe I'm going to probably have to drop down to twice a week. Uh, my intention is to keep going forward, but for a period of time, I'm just not going to have the bandwidth to do four to five episodes a week. And I mean, I feel like I'm letting everybody down with just three, but I think, I think when the explanation becomes clear, it will be a worthwhile trade-off. So, two things I want to primary cover, primarily cover, if you will, on my Saturday special. We have the statewide proposition election, and I was derelict. I did not get out this earlier. Now, I'd listened to a couple of different explanations of various people. So I'm going to weigh in, and I'm not going to necessarily uh, reflect on what the other folks said. I'm just going to give you gut reactions here. Uh, One, because the way that they put it forth, uh, it has a lot to do with how they word it and what the thing they're trying to get is, and whether or not it increases liberty or it decreases liberty. And if it decreases liberty, is there a darn good reason why? And just because of compelling government interest is not necessarily the appropriate answer. But apparently SCOTUS likes that. So we're going to hop into the propositions. Uh, I'm referencing the voter guide that was handily provided in the Community Impact newspaper, which is Volume 7. Issue 7, which is October 18th through November 14th. So this uh, arrived at my house a couple days back. Uh, The election started this week uh, for early voting, um, the 18th. So it would have been Monday. And it'll go on through to the actual election, which is going to be November 2nd. So here we go. The eight propositions. Now, also keep in mind, some of you are going to have local races at play here as well. And I'm not going to inject my thoughts into somebody's local election because quite frankly unless it's in McKinney my knowledge of it is going to be limited and I don't wish to muddy the water like I I know a little bit about the Allen uh, propositions they have but I think that uh, you folks down in Allen are going to handle that quite well all on your own so here we go the statewide propositions the irony I would like to point out on this is we don't have a method for we the people to put forth propositions to get this done. They have to come through the state house or Senate or both. And then they hand it off to us so that we approve it. So every time that we approve a bond, they can wash their hands of the responsibility of it. Every time we approve Any kind of limitation on liberty, they get to wash their hands from it. Um, I have mixed feelings about this, 
But I at least appreciate the idea that they're saying this is, we need additional authorization to do this. Um, they're looking at it to amend the Constitution. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea that the House and Senate can't do this on their own. They need to actually run it by the citizens. Um, I'm not sure that I'm, a, you know, I guess it's Washington, Oregon, and California have the ability to do law by referendum. I'm not sure that that's the best option either. I do think that we ought to be able to have non-binding referendums so that we can force the hand of those that are representing us in the House and the Senate to take up issues that are important to us since we in the Republican Party put forth eight priorities and we really only get half of them. Just a thought there. Okay, so proposition number one has to do with rodeo raffles. Basically, they want to know if these raffles can be done outside of the laws regarding Texas's gambling uh, restrictions. Okay, so I have a mixed feeling on this. Gut feeling, um, it's a raffle ticket. I don't really see a problem with that. Secondary gut feeling, more expansion of gambling, generally doesn't lead to good results, but ultimately, people that are involved in this are typically adults. Adults ought to be able to choose what's best for them and their family, and to be logically consistent and uphold liberty, I have to say, yeah, if, if we're going to modify the Constitution and allow this, then we ought to be able to do that. So, here we go. Number two, county infrastructure bonds for blighted areas. Now, uh, I will just say, <laughs> this is very, very sketchy here. All we have to do is declare an area blighted, and then we can go and uh, do certain things. Or we can say that it's underserved. Well, who determines that? By what process? It's kind of unclear. Um, and I guess... <sighs> It's supposed to help urban counties or counties that are transitioning from being suburban to urban uh, with funding. Okay, so here we go. Number one, I generally oppose bonds unless there's a darn good reason. Number two, the idea that 51% of the people can determine that I have to take on a debt that I didn't ask for or I don't want. It's problematic in and of itself. It seems to trample on the rights of minorities. And by minorities, I mean minority people that voted no, not the basis of somebody's uh, ethnic origin or sex or any of that stuff. Just uh, politically speaking, if you will. So uh, I got to say, just on the idea that it seems a little uh, unclear as to how this is going to work, why this would work, and I really don't trust that it won't be wildly abused, I'd have to say that I would oppose that. Now, you know, if people want to do that, they want to spend extra money in the county, and the county makes that decision on their own, I, I guess they have a every opportunity to do that. I just don't see the wisdom in that. Religious services, which would be proposition number three. 
Well, this is going to decide if the state or local governments can limit religious services. Okay, well, uh, last time I looked, the federal constitution and the state constitution do not allow for government to interfere with religious services. In fact, a lot of these people have been screaming about the idea of separation of church and state for decades, but now they're okay for the state to come in and step on church. No, 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 no. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be because of the wording I don't have in front of me. But if this is going to limit government the way it's actually finally written, and again, I, I can't read the actual writing, but yeah, any any limitation on government interfering with any religious service is a good thing. And if a county does it or a city does it, they're equally wrong and they have no business doing that. If you want separation of church and state, it has to go both ways. Okay, number four, judicial eligibility limitation. So basically, we're just going to look to update our uh, criteria by which you can be a judge. Um, I guess I don't really have an issue on this one way or the other. If it, in theory, is going to give us better judges or at least more professional judges, I don't really see a problem with it. I'm sure somebody could find something in the wording or the official version of this that's problematic, but just gut reaction reading this, I don't I don't see a problem there. Number five, judicial conduct limitation. Well, let me see here. So the question is, can we extend its power to candidates for the office of judge of Texas, allowing the commission to conduct investigations and accept complaints and disqualify candidates not in office? Well, on the surface, this sounds really good. It, it does. We don't want bad people running for office. But on the flip side, we all know that there are rules for thee and rules for we. And I think this just opens up a giant door to abuse. You just find ways to find people disqualified so you can't have somebody run against you if you're a judge. Now, I, you know, a perfect world, yeah, that would be fine. But we're not in a perfect world, which is kind of goes back to the other proposition four. I mean, I, I really truly wish that I believed there was pure hearts and motivations in all that would be involved in this. I just, I don't know that I buy it. I wouldn't, I'd have to say that's a big, that's a big, I don't, uh, maybe there. How about that? A big maybe. Um, I'm not buying it. I, I think that that's going to be more detrimental than helpful. I really do. But that's just my two cents. And again, uh, to be clear, y'all need to make your own decisions. You need to do your own investigation. You need to Determine what do you think the intent is or what the outcome is going to be of this. And when you've made your educated decision-making process fully formed through and you are comfortable with what your answer is, then you need to go out and vote your conscience. Now, I could give you my two cents. I can give you my gut reaction to this stuff. But, and to be honest, pretty much all of these things that come through 
my initial reaction is, why in the world do we have yet another constitutional amendment? I want to vote no just on principle of that alone, but obviously they, they put some stuff in here that we we benefit from. So that brings us to Proposition 6, Essential Caregivers. This asks whether the voters which should decide if residents of facilities such as nursing homes have a right to determine who their essential caregiver is and whether or not they can visit without restrictions. Now, to me, this sounds ludicrous. It, oh, who is okay with this? But this is what happened this last year or two. The COVID-19 uh, mitigation measures did not allow certain people to visit family members. Wholly detrimental. Terrible situation. So, on the face of this, it sounds great. But again, who's going to accept liability if somebody goes in that's sick and gets other people sick? I mean, it's slim. I mean, it's it's a low chance. But I mean, are they going to are they going to offer some kind of liability protection here? I think not. I think they're setting people up for failure. But on the surface, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if my mother or my mother-in-law or my father or my father-in-law or somebody close to me is in a nursing home and I want to go see them, um, I don't think anybody ought to be able to stop me. And I will just put this out here. Good luck trying. But be that as it may, there are rules for thee and rules for thee in this as well. So again, uh, this is probably one that I would say, yeah, we need to we need to make sure that there's a guaranteed right for the people to be able to determine who gets to come see them. Homestead tax limitation for oh, I'm sorry, Proposition Seven: Homestead tax limitation for surviving spouses of people with disabilities. And number eight is exactly the same, only for spouses of armed services members. You know, I got to tell you, this is the one tugging on your heartstrings, right? I mean. Should you be able to limit how much these people are taxed? Yes, absolutely. But I don't think we should have a special carve out for each little group that they are looking to show favored status to. Because the long-term effect is those that don't get these limitations end up paying more. So perhaps we should look about how we fund things. So my gut reaction is, uh, yeah, these people probably deserve a tax break, but then so does everybody else. But I'm just not going to be the guy to say, well, no, you can't have it. I, Man, this this tough. This tough. You got to decide. Uh, are you more concerned about, you know, disability spouses or uh, armed service member spouses? Or are you uh, more concerned about the general rule, the overarching concern? For me, personally, I'd say anybody that gets a tax break, I support. Knowing full well that long-term, that's probably going to end up hurting me. But I, I just, philosophically, anybody that I can help pay less, I, I'm going to support. So, But you need to make your own decision. You need to determine what what sits best with you. This is kind of one of those things where most people could go either way if you can look past the heartstrings. And I really, really have a challenge. I mean, if you got a disabled person, particularly a disabled vet, and 
they have a spouse left and they really don't have anything left. I mean, to tax them out of their homes? I mean, that's just crazy. But it happens all the time. All the time. And it it just, it's probably never going to change, to be honest. But if we can slow it down, make it more difficult, yeah, yeah. For that and that alone, I would support it. And I realize that maybe a tad inconsistent, but not really. Not really. Anybody that can pay less, I'm I'm happy for them. So that being said, I've covered the uh, eight propositions. Let us talk briefly on a couple more things going on. So the uh, the third special session is done and over with. At some point, we're going to do a breakdown of just how did our Texas state legislature do? How successful was it? And we're going to hear from a bunch of people how it was the most conservative session ever. Well, I don't I don't know if I can subscribe to that definition. Did they do a lot of conservative things or constitutionally supportive things? Yes. Did they do a lot of fluff that was largely meaningless? Yes. Should we be disappointed and frustrated that with a near two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate, we can't get more things done that are important to us? Yes. But to be fair, they did get a lot of things done that were important and pressing. To stay completely objective, we have to be willing to say, yeah, I am not happy, but I'm pleased. I'm not thrilled, but I'm happy. You got to be willing to give a little. You're never going to get everything that you want. And and believe me, uh, I'm, I'm, very strong on how I feel about a lot of different things. And there are, there are things that I'm willing to give on and there are things that I'm not. And honestly, the heartbeat bill was helpful and we'll see what happens with it. The limited, (laughs) I'm going to call it limited constitutional carry to call it straight up constitutional carry is well, not true. Um, I would have preferred going to 18. I would have preferred no restrictions. In my mind, that would have been true constitutional carry. But what we got is significantly better than what we had. What what passed through was a giant leap forward from where we were just a year ago. So to call that a failure, to be rude to our reps would be serving no purpose. That being said, next term, somebody needs to bring up yet another constitutional carry law. And yes, we need to remove the other restrictions. I, you know, the idea of having an LTC, which is a license to carry, to allow you to not have to go through constant background checks. 
I see that as a net positive. The idea that you have an LTC so that when you travel to another state and you can't be hassled by the neighboring states, I see that as positive. Now, one would hope and think that the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution would be adequate, but clearly it is not. And honestly, as states are sovereign in nature, they do kind of get to set what their laws are. They get to determine what they want in their states. So I'm hard-pressed to fault New Jersey for their uh, anti-gun dictates. I mean, if that's what they want to do in that state and the people put up with it, okay. My answer is then don't go to that state. Just like the people in California don't want to come to our state because we have some laws that they don't like, great. Stay in California. Better yet, go to New Jersey. That's that's the benefit. That That is the benefit of having this federated system to having the compact where we have multiple states that are sovereign that can do different things the way they see fit and what's best for them. Let me go check on my dog. So, in short... Again, to stay consistent, the sovereign states get to dictate the rules within their state so long as they don't run afoul of the restrictions that are put in the compact, which honestly, other than SCOTUS getting involved in mm, incorporating certain things, there really aren't a lot of restrictions on the state insofar as the laws or rules within the state. But unfortunately for us, most states, in fact, all the states that I'm aware of, kind of forget that. They, they don't stand up for themselves, and they weakly assert the Tenth Amendment when it's convenient, and they do nothing to back it up. The irony also being that we have every right and duty to protect the Texas international border, And we have the feds telling us, no, you don't get to do that. But the feds aren't doing it. That's their job. That's what's delegated to them. But they don't show up to work. Then that means somebody else has to do it. And for that person that's not even showing up to do it to then come in and say, well, you can't do it either. No, that's not the way this works. Now, you could say what you want about the folks that are coming here. And I still continue to believe that the majority of them are coming for a better life. And it's really hard to fault them for it. The majority of them are coming to escape some place that they would rather not be. And again, it's really hard not, or it's really hard to fault them for that. But the flip side is there's something entirely odd about the way things are playing out. I I would almost say nefarious in nature, but I don't have any tinfoil to put on my head. So let's just say it's questionable and it puts In my mind, if some of these motives are beyond, I want a better life. I want to take care of my family. Those are the people that I have tons of grace for. Those are the people that I mm, sympathize with, that I would want to work with, that I want to help. But the other folks that are coming here, I don't know. And I don't know how you divide them up. I guess that's why you would have a remain in Mexico waiting program and then you can vet these people and determine who's who and what they want and how best can they uh, you know benefit us and we benefit them but the reality is until we deal with the welfare state we're never going to fix this problem we have a giant neon sign that says come here and we'll give you free stuff if you're from somewhere else in the world and you have the means any means to get here why wouldn't you come 
We reward people for sitting at home right now still under the guise that oh, we're saving you from the pandemic. Now, whether you believe that's true or not, it's a, it's a reality. And when the idea of a 4% unemployment rate being the actual full employment number and potentially sitting at 7%, there are a lot of people that own businesses or run businesses. They need workers. And when we pay people to stay at home, why in the world do they go get a job? And that's going to cause a wage inflation. And I don't know if you've been paying any attention, but a lot of these places are paying a lot of money to do a low-end job. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because everybody needs to start somewhere. You're not supposed to stay flipping burgers for your whole life, but to get paid $13, $14, $15 an hour, how much is that hamburger going to cost? I mean, I already pay 10 bucks pretty much anytime I go through a fast food restaurant to buy a meal, but if it's 12 or $13, at what point does that just not seem worth it anymore? I don't know what the answer is, but I can tell you it won't be long before that becomes the case. When you price yourself out of the market because you have to pay so much to get labor. And then there's the whole idea of the robots, right? And people kind of roll their eyes and joke, but it's real. Mechanization is going to make this a challenge. I mean, even Andrew Yang was warning about this years ago. And there's others too. I don't fear it because there's always something that we can find that we can do that um, a robot or a machine can't do or can't do well. But the reality is, that's where we're at right now. Well, uh, I really don't have much to add. I want to just say thanks for listening. Uh, Episode 145 is now done. It's a Saturday special to make up for Missing Friday. And uh, I guess next week, my intention is to get in all five episodes so I can hit 150 before I do the uh, change of format and uh, (laughs) say a prayer, wish me luck, whatever your choice is. And I will see you on the other side.